for those of you who haven't been here, the series is named after a phrase that was said often, blood is thicker than water. Uh, and the idea behind that phrase, uh, that isn't much used these days, uh, is that this idea that blood, your biological family, is thicker, it's deeper, it's richer, it lasts more, longer than water, than friendships that flow. So blood is thicker than water, biological family, that's what's important. What we're going to learn throughout this series is Jesus is going to take that saying and turn it on its head. Actually, uh, through Jesus, we can have relationships that are thicker than blood, that are more impactful, that are deeper and richer than just biology can provide alone. And so that's the, the series. So we're going to be taking a look each time at different friendships in the Bible. And because we're looking at the idea of friendships, there will be some overlap, some similar ideas in each, but there's going to be different nuances in each relationship. And our, our desire is that after a while, you're going to gain a clear vision of what the Bible's vision is for friendships. It's so easy for us just to import thoughts and ideas from what we've seen around us, from different TV shows, from the world, and say, hey, that's what friendship looks like here. That's what it looks like on friends. That's what it looks like among this group. That's what it should look like in the Christian community. And, and that's just not true. The, Jesus gives us this rich image of what friendships are, and we're going to see that throughout the, the New Testament. So we want to tackle, as well as providing an image of this is what friendship is, we want to address some of those wronger ideas, if I can say wronger, because that's such a great word to use, uh, wrong ideas of what friendships are. One of those myths, one of those uh, wrong tales, false ideas about friendships that we want to talk about tonight is this. It's not something that's often taught directly. It can be taught indirectly. It's, it's kind of passively communicated. And that's this, that friendships are there for you know, you, you want to have some fun, you want to hang out with friends, you want to have some laughs, but to truly be known, to truly be accepted and loved who, for who you are and as you are, well, that happens once you meet that future Mr. or Mrs. someone and you get married and you start your own family. That's when unconditional love happens. It's not as you're engaging with friends and that sort of thing. That's only, we only engage in those friendships until we have that family. And that, from a Christian perspective, is just not true. Uh, it's, again, not directly taught. But in church today, often we don't talk about friendships often. We'll talk about marriages and families a lot. And so we can get the wrong idea that that is what's really important and that friendships aren't. I remember I was never directly taught growing up, hey, you know, real you know, family is it, starting your own family is it, not directly. But as I was preparing for this lesson, I thought of two different stories from my childhood where indirectly that message was communicated to me. And so one of when I was a wee little lad, probably between five and seven, I've got a brother who's two years younger than me. And uh, we are very, very different. And we fought a lot, like a lot, a lot. And, uh, and I can, my mom is a short, southern, fiery woman. And uh, she was having none of it. So I remember one time where she separated us at one point. And, she, and I remember because she got down on our level and looked at us in the eyes. And was like, look, son. Look, son. Looked at both of us. Blood is blood. Friends, they come and go. 
but blood is blood, and you need to treat each other better. So what was she saying in that? Well, friendships, they're nice, but they're temporary. They don't last. But family, well, that's forever. You may not get along. You may not like each other. You may be close. You may be far away, but you're always family. And family was biological. So I remember that story. I also remembered a time when I was older. Uh, I was a young adult at this point, and I had been praying about whether to go in the mission field or not. And I hadn't told my family anything that I had been processing. And so I sprung it on them one weekend. Hey, I think I'm going to go overseas and be a missionary. And uh, Christian family, but they exploded. They were firing all sorts of things at me. What are you thinking? And one of, some of the first questions that came out of their mouth was, don't you ever want to have a family? Don't you ever want, how are you going to support them? Are you prepared to move your family and live in a grass hut? Those were kind of the first questions coming my way. And I remember being taken completely aback. Wow, that, that's the priority here. Well, God will provide. Well, but that was where their hearts were. Now, over the course of the weekend, I got to say, Jesus worked on their hearts. And he reset their priorities. And they came to me and they owned that. But the fact was, it was still there. It was still that value that got communicated to them and then got communicated to me. And we can fall into that same kind of thinking, that finding the right someone and marrying them is our goal in life. That's basically what they were communicating to me. They were saying, really, your goal is to get married and start a family, and then you can fit in service to Jesus around that. And that can we can adopt that same kind of thinking. We can adopt the kind of thinking that really, hey, I've got these friends and I enjoy them, but when I find that special someone, then, then bye. And I'm going to move on to these friends because that's, that's the goal. That's what I'm pursuing. And we can end up holding on to our friendships loosely. We can base them more on how we're feeling at the moment and are we having laughs now or not. But what if Jesus wants something more for us? What if he wants deeper friendships, more real and more profound? Now, I'm not saying every friend you're ever going to have is going to be this deep, intimate, relational thing. But what if Jesus has deeper connections for us, for us in this room? Um, what if we could experience something deeper with other believers, a connection that feels more like family? And that's what we're going to see tonight, that when we follow Jesus, we're part of his family. He forms a family around us. And he gives us, in this family, this context of family acceptance. He loves us for who we are, as we are. And uh, uh, acceptance and um, forgiveness. And we've got this free context that we can develop deep friendships. We can explore what he has for us because Jesus forgives us. He accepts us as we are. Uh, and we can develop these deep, lasting friendships. So that's our main challenge tonight. That's what I want to communicate to you guys. If you hear nothing else, I want you to hear that the challenge tonight is to develop friendship in Jesus' family. That's what I feel like Jesus wants to present to us tonight, is to develop friendships in Jesus' family family in that context. So let's just say that phrase once together. Develop friendships in Jesus's family. Develop 
friendships, and Jesus' family. Remember that. So, uh, you know, because we need to develop those friendships because they're not just going to happen. We know that just being a part of a family doesn't mean you're close. You have connection, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're close. I've been married to my wife, Toby, for almost, for this year, it'll be 24 years. Yes, I'm old. She's not. I married young. Uh, But we've been married for 24 years. Uh, Oldest daughter, CJ, who's going to Grand Canyon. Maddie, who's here tonight, it's a senior. Uh, Josiah, our son, who's nine, almost 10, so we're starting over. We've got great relationships. We enjoy one another. We've got a good connection. But we're not close just because we're biologically related or because we've been enveloped into this family. Uh, We listen to each other. We invest in those relationships. We forgive one another. We spend time with one another. We laugh together. We cry together. We pray together. Those friendships, that closeness, it doesn't just happen even in a family context. We invest in those relationships. And Jesus wants to give us in this room a vision for friendship that isn't just based on what we like or what we don't like or our senses of humor, whether we click with someone or not. Uh, it, but it's rooted in our relationship with him. He, we don't have to wait until we are married and we have families to experience that unconditional love and acceptance. That can happen in friendships now. Jesus wants to provide us with close friendships that are like family now. But we have to decide to develop those relationships. So tonight we're going to look at a case study. We're going to look at a relationship in the Bible, Paul and Timothy. And we're going to see how they have developed this close friendship that is very much like family. And then we're going to see how we can enter into this family of friends that Jesus has created through three specific practices. So we're going to do a case study, and we're going to look at three different practices at at practically what does it look like for us to engage and develop those friendships within a family of believers. So first we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 2 and and start with verse 19. Uh, Paul first finds Timothy in this town called Lystra that's in Asia Minor, or what we now know as Turkey. You can read about this in Acts 16 if you wanted to. But, But Paul visited this city... At one point, he was beaten up, he was persecuted, uh, and then he goes back and visits the city again. And it's on that visit, he learns of a young believer named Timothy. Timothy already had a good, solid reputation, and uh, he, Paul invites Timothy to be his companion uh, with Silas on, a, uh, on this second missionary journey. So Paul invites Timothy. Now, Paul has traveled with quite a few people. He's traveled with Barnabas. He's traveled with Mark. But he invites Timothy, and as they travel and as they work together, Paul starts calling him my son. You see him address Timothy that way in different letters. Timothy's name appears as the co-author on six New Testament books. So Timothy and and Paul, they worked really closely together. And we're going to read in chapter uh, Philippians 2, 19. This is where Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And in this, he's describing Timothy. And just note the words that Paul chooses to use to describe this relationship with Timothy. He says, uh, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. 
For I have no one like him. I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send them to you just as soon as I can, as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So, again, listen to these words that Paul uses to describe Timothy. He's like a proud father, a proud papa bragging on his son. He's like, I've got no one like Timothy. Paul's saying, I know a lot of people. I've got no one like Timothy who's genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, but Timothy... He's concerned with Christ's interests. As he traveled with Paul, he was concerned with Christ's interests. Now, there's lots of reasons that Timothy could have joined Paul. He could have said, man, Leicester's boring. I want to see the world. Paul, I want to travel with you. You're going places. I want to see what you're doing. I want to see what God's doing. I want to be a part of that. Paul, I want you to mentor me. I, he could have made it about himself and his own experiences. But... He was more dedicated to Christ's interests, regardless of his own. And Paul found a companion in that. They were both committed, both fired up by the gospel, not just talking about it, but living it out and doing that together. They did ministry together, good times and bad times, uh, times of seeing God at work in miraculous ways, and times when their lives were in danger. There's plenty of dangerous times for them. They went through it all together. There's this companionship. They were there for each other and helped each other become more. Paul is always pouring into Timothy and calling him up and having more for him. And as they partnered together, their friendship became deeper and more profound and more like family. Now, this isn't in any particular verse, but we do know some things about Paul. And it struck me that through Jesus, Paul and Timothy both experienced a deep relationship that they otherwise would have missed out on. What we know about Paul is that, at least in 1 Corinthians 7, he said he was unmarried. Now, we have no record of Paul ever having been married. There's just no mention of it. We have this statement in 1 Corinthians 7 where he says, remain unmarried as I am. And so, so he's unmarried, at least at that point. There's no mention of him ever having children. So at least in the time of Timothy, we know that Paul had no wife. He had no kids. It was just him. And, and here through this relationship, Paul finds a son. What we know about Timothy is that his grandmother and then his mother were followers of Jesus. And they introduced Timothy to Jesus. Now, uh, his dad was a Greek, was a heathen. We never learn his name. We just know that about him, that he was not a follower of Jesus. And so Timothy was, out, was without a spiritual father. So here you have Paul with no children who has this spiritual son. You have Timothy who has no spiritual father who finds that relationship in Paul. So again, Jesus provided for each of them a relationship that they needed in the context of lurk, uh, working together and ministering together and serving together. And it, it should make us stop and think that in this family of of Christ, what relationships could Jesus provide for you? What relationships could he provide for me? Think of the times you've been at Red Mountain and just the different friendships and relationships you've had with group leaders, with different staff leaders, 
with different friends in here, what could God provide for you? What sort of relationships? What sort of relationships could you provide for others? Now, we've got to ask ourselves, you know, where did this language of family come from? Is this Paul just expressing his own emotions? Uh, To some extent, he probably was. But was he also expressing a deeper reality? And that's where we can turn to Mark 3, 31. We're going to look at a story about Jesus. And we're going to see from there that this idea of deep friendships that are like family, that comes from Jesus directly. Uh, In Mark 3.31, in this passage, Jesus redefines what we often view as our closest relationships. Now, instead of family being determined by biology, family is defined by all of those who are following him. So it's not just for the Pauls and the Timothys who are full-time pursuing Christian work. It's for anyone. Anyone who follows Jesus is part of the family of Jesus. So in Mark 3, 31 through 35, in this context, in chapter th- Mark chapter 3, there's all these different stories of Jesus dealing with spiritual leaders and Jesus dealing with his disciples and his family. And it's all sorts of people reacting to who Jesus was and, and trying to understand him. And so in Mark 3, 31, it says this, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him, and they called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. And that was a radical statement. Jesus' family was... They wanted to bring him home. If you would just look up for a few verses, if you looked at verses 20 and 21, there's this brief story where it says, Then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. Now, we don't know exactly what they mean by he's out of his mind, even though it seems pretty clear. There's two possibilities. One is they could be saying, He's just not being very wise. Because at this point, he's already stirred up the spiritual leaders against him. And they could be sitting there going, hey, Jesus, we're hearing all kinds of things, and we don't think you're thinking straight. You need to calm down. We're concerned for your safety. You're not in your right mind here. Or because of the press of the crowd that's happening right then where he couldn't even eat, they could be concerned for his safety. Or they could be thinking, he's nuts. He's just gone off the deep end. He's gone way too far. So here they are in verse 31 And they've come to take him home because they don't understand him. They don't see him for who he is. They don't think what he's doing is right or that he knows exactly what he's doing. And so they're on the outside looking in, wanting to take him home. And it's in this context that he makes this radical statement that his family is not defined by biology. And in that time, that would be, it was incredible. Because families did everything together. It was a poor environment. Families had to bond together just to survive. Often sons would learn from their fathers what they were doing for work. Uh, They would get into business together just to make ends meet. And In the Hebrew faith, honor thy father and mother. There was all sorts of laws and instructions and regulations on, on how to interact together as a family. So it was challenging to their faith to sit there and go, yeah, biology isn't the thing. Actually, those who believe in me, 
That's family. Even to say that in this room, because we grew up in church and we hear these things, we can say, hey, we're part of the family, and we can kind of go, mm-hmm. But think of that for a minute. To sit there and go, well, it's actually not my biological connections that are defining us as family. It's, it's faith in Jesus. Think about what that would mean for us in this room who know Jesus, who follow him, that we're actually family. That Jesus calls us family because he says, you are my brothers and my sisters. And he's redefining what family looks like. And that sounds really great. It's, it goes beyond even what Jesus says in John 15, 15, where he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. Here he says, you're not just friends, you're, you're family. And, and in that context, it's a place where you belong. Here are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. And it is remarkable, just a, a quick side note, that Mark notes sisters here. It's not just the males, it's brothers and sisters. He's everybody's included in this family. And that sounds wonderful. But uh, if we're family then, why is it sometimes hard to actually make friendships in the Christian community? Sometimes it can be tricky to negotiate friendships and what's going on. Why is that? If we're all family, why is it? Well, it's because we're a dysfunctional family. Jesus gave us a family and made us family, but we're all dysfunctional. But the good news is we all get to be dysfunctional together. We all get to learn together. We all get to uh, grow together. In this context where where Jesus establishes us, we can move past those dysfunctions. We can forgive one another and care for one another and grow. And and thinking that through, I think Mark was hinting that that in this description of the location of Jesus' family, he's not just talking geography. It wasn't just an accidental detail thrown in. He was giving us something. He was conveying a spiritual reality there as well. That he was explaining how we can feel sometimes. We can feel sometimes that there's an inside and an outside. And sometimes we feel like we're on the outside. So how do we handle those moments? Those moments where we feel like, hey, if this is God's family, why do I feel like I'm on the outside? And I think in this passage... Uh, we get some clues. When we feel like we're on the outside, we have to recognize what we're thinking and what we're processing. When we feel, we're sitting here going, man, there's friendships going on, and I just feel like it's going on around me. When we feel like we're on the outside, we can feel like those feelings are telling us something, that those feelings are making a statement. Those feelings are making a statement about maybe yourself, about myself. I feel like I'm on the outside because there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not patient enough with people. Maybe I'm not cool enough. Maybe I don't have the right sense of humor. That's why I feel like I'm on the outside. I don't jive with these. I I just don't mesh with these people, and there's something wrong with me. It's making a statement about me. Uh, Sometimes those feelings of feeling like we're on the outside, we feel like it's making a statement about maybe others in the group, that uh, there's something wrong with them. They're too, they're thoughtless. They're not including. They're selfish. They're big, stupid poo-poo heads. There's something that there's something wrong with them. The reason why I feel like I'm on the outside, well, that's, it's something wrong with them. They're too clicky. Or maybe it's making a statement about the group itself. Maybe I just don't belong here. 
Those feelings of feeling like an outside, we can sometimes feel like they're making a statement, but they're not. We can learn this from this passage that those feelings aren't making a statement, they're an invitation to follow Jesus in that moment. And, and the way we know that is when Jesus says, here's his family, they're on the outside, and he turns to those on the inside and he says, here are my brothers and sisters. He wasn't saying, my biological family, you're done. I'm casting you, I'm separate from you, that's it. Because what we know is that Jesus taught about honoring his family. We know that two of his brothers ended up following him. James was a leader in the early church. Judas wrote the book of Jude. His mother ended up following him. Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross, went out of his way to make sure that his mother was cared for. So he wasn't cutting off his biological family. He was inviting them into a deeper reality. And that is following him. That's when you become family. He was saying that family, this new family he was created, uh, is based on a commitment to do God's will. He's reminding his disciples that there's a kinship a relationship, a family relationship that takes priority over biology, over blood relations. It's a radical call to follow him. It's an invitation. And so what does it mean to do the will of God in that moment? What does it mean to do the will of God in that moment when you're in a Christian family and you're a Christian and you feel like you're on the outside? Well, there's three practices we can do. And these three practices are the same practices you would do to follow God's will in any circumstance. Though I'm going to personalize it to this situation. And the first one is this. Trust Jesus. Believe Jesus is who he says he is. Just because we're coming to church, just because we're raised in the church, that doesn't mean we're part of Christ's family. We're part of Christ's family if we believe he is who he says he is, that he's the only son of God, and we've given ourselves to him, and we've allowed him to be our savior. We've relinquished control, and we say, Jesus, forgive me. I trust you. And we allow him to meet our needs. So when we're feeling like we're on the outside, we start there. We start with our relationship with Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust you. Meet my needs. And recognize that he is present and he is doing what is right, even if we don't understand it. Again, as parents were stepping outside and critiquing and saying, Jesus, you're not, you're not quite doing the right thing. We need to get you out of there. So don't do that. Remember that he is always present and that he always does what's right. Uh, he is always active, even if we don't understand it. And be willing to follow him no matter what. So trust Jesus. That's the first part of doing God's will. So we're feeling on the outside and we say, okay, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you to meet my needs in this moment. The next thing we need to do is remember that we're family. Jesus uh, made a point. God made a point to put these words in Scripture because we need to hear them. Because we forget. We forget that in him, as we are following him, as we are engaging in what he does, as we are pursuing Christ's interests, that he's made us family, and we, we can forget that. So just because you feel like you're on the outside, that's ultimately not true. Because your, your position of being on the outside or inside is not based on, on what you're feeling that moment or how others are treating you. It's based on the reality of your relationship with Jesus Christ. You are part of his family. And we have to recognize that sometimes 
even in families, you don't feel close to one another. That happens in all of our human relationships, and that's because of sin. It's, it's not a fault of something you've done or they've Sometimes it just is. We don't feel close to one another, and that just happens. Uh, that's how human relationships went once sent into the world. But one of the best things about family, sometimes can be the worst, is you can't escape. Once you're family, you're family, and you're together. So you need to trust Jesus in those moments, and you need to remember that you are family. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you're following him, you're family, and that doesn't change. It's really easy uh, for us to think about our relationships based on how we're feeling in the moment, whether we click or whether we have shared experience or, or all those things. Uh, it's so easy for our definition of family and our relationships with one another to be defined by how it's defined out in the world. And we've got to fight that. Uh, that something other than our loyalty, loyalty to Jesus will always compete for our attention and will try to define what our friendships are like. But the call to be around Jesus, to listen to him, that's what matters. So we trust Jesus, we remember that we're family, and then we follow Jesus together. We encourage one another, we care for one another, we challenge one another, we forgive one another. We find those around us who want to pursue Jesus, and we develop friendships with them. We don't just let them happen. We work at it. I can remember a time in high school where a lot of my friends weren't pursuing Jesus. And I felt kind of on my own. And God brought me to another friend, another guy who was feeling the exact same way. And just like Jesus provided that relationship for Paul and Timothy, he provided that relationship for me and a guy named Greg Pope. And together we became best friends. Not because we started off with all these shared interests, but because we wanted to pursue Jesus and we wanted to do that together. And we needed help. And we leaned on each other. And, and a rich friendship grew out of that. And that's part of following Jesus together. Maybe you won't develop the friendship that you thought in that moment when you're feeling on the outside. Maybe there's this relationship or this group that you want to be a part of and you don't feel like it's clicking. Maybe the Lord has something else in mind. Because there's this big family here and there's maybe someone else here who needs to experience family. And Jesus wants to use you to meet that person's need, to reach out and let them know that they do belong. And so on a given night, when you're feeling like you may be on the outside, look for those opportunities. Go, Jesus, what are you doing here right now? And let me follow you in that. Maybe he wants to use you in a different way. So again, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're a member of his family along with all other Jesus followers. So you, in this room, us here, we're family. And we need to develop friendships in Jesus' family. See what kinds of relationships God could provide for you and his family. Maybe they were the relationships you're looking for. Maybe they were something different. But they're always something worthwhile and meaningful. And God could use you to bring that family to other people and those relationships through Jesus. So let's pray, and let's pray that Jesus could use us to build this group into more of a family, to develop deeper, lasting friendships. Father, we are so grateful that in you, we're given the opportunity to develop friendships. 
that you have made us a family, that we have a place where we belong. There's a place, Jesus, where we are forgiven, where we are accepted. Help us to understand that deep in our souls. And that those feelings of being on the outside or the inside, they come and go. But the reality is, the truth is, Jesus, if we are following you, then, then we are part of your family. And we're part of your family together with other believers. Help us to step into that, Lord. Help us to find those deep relationships. Help us to remember that we don't have to wait for a future day where we may or may not get married, where we may or may not start our own families. But right now, right here, Jesus, we can experience that unconditional love. We can experience that acceptance and that freedom that you offer through one another. So bless us, Lord, as we discuss this in our groups. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.